0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, open to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to be in verse 21, and uh, while you're turning there, or you can follow along on the YouVersion app, uh, all the uh, scriptures and everything are on there, and uh, while you're turning there, have you ever watched a movie where you just feel lost? Like, you're watching this movie, and you're like, I have no idea what is even happening right now. And I'm not talking about, like, you fell asleep and then woke up, and you're like, okay, what happened? I'm talking about from the beginning, like, you're halfway through the movie, and you're like, I just have no clue what's going on. Or maybe you've read a book where you're halfway through the book, and you're like, this isn't leading to anything. Like, I I don't know what's going on. There's no, like... Conflict or, or story that's, that 's that that 's driving things forward and it, it just seems what in the world is going on to me, what makes a good story is it leads somewhere it leads somewhere, and it 's setting up a conflict it 's setting up uh, something grand that 's going to happen and you know over the last several weeks we 've been going through this series called Easter Eggs, looking at how Jesus is spread all throughout the scriptures. He's not just in the Gospels; He's all over the place. Uh, and he exists in the Old Testament, especially through prophecies that are fulfilled. And, and we see all these things that are leading to something. These, these prophecies, these stories, these moments that are happening that are leading to something. And as we've been going through this, we've talked about God's redemption plan, and we've talked about a servant who would come and who would suffer. We've talked about a king who would bring peace and the people just missed it. We've talked about a a savior who would come and who would pray over his people. And we've talked about a God who understands as his son, as his servant is on the cross. we talked about a servant who would feel like God wasn't there, who, who God wasn't listening, and yet we, he knew that God was there, and he knew that God saw what was happening. And A servant who watched the people mock him and ridicule him. He watched the people gamble for his clothes and, and those things that belong to him. And we, we see a Savior who goes through a very painful ordeal, and we see a God who understands... Our pain, our God who understands the things that we go through every single day. We don't serve a God who's distant from us. We serve a God who who knows all of the things that we go through. And this morning, we're going to continue by looking at a lamb. But not just any lamb. A lamb that would be a Passover lamb. A lamb that would represent God saving His people And so that's where we start off this morning in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. And it says this It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, or dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians. He will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And so, the context here—it's taken place during the you know during the time of of God's people being enslaved, being uh, slaves to. Uh, Egypt and you see God has heard his people's cry as they've cried out and and, then this pain they've been going through and this torture they've been facing at the hands of the Egyptians and they're crying out to God and God hears their cries and so God puts this plan together and you know he he tells Moses hey this is what's going to happen I'm going to show Pharaoh my power And Pharaoh's stubborn. He doesn't want to release the people. He doesn't want to let them go. And so God uses these plagues, ten plagues, to get the attention of Pharaoh. And He used plague after plague after plague after plague. And nine plagues later, Pharaoh is still stubborn. But this tenth plague, this one's going to be a big one. This plague is going to be the plague of the firstborn. And, And when it says firstborn, it's all the firstborn males, the animals, men, firstborn, would be put down. And so in this text that we read in Exodus chapter 12, we see instructions. Moses gives the elders of Israel instructions on what they're supposed to do, and he tells them that they're to slaughter a lamb. And this lamb, the blood from this lamb, would be used to paint the door frames. It would be a sign that whenever that when god came through and the power of god came through any of these door frames that had this blood on it would represent a house to be passed over and so they're to slaughter a lamb and to use that blood and and it says that they are to dip it in hyssop and they're to take that blood and put some on the top and both sides of the door frame what's hyssop what's hyssop what is hyssop well there's a picture Up here, that's what hyssop looks like. It was a a thick kind of plant that would be able to hold uh, that weight of that blood, that would be able to uh, be sturdy enough that when they go to put it on the door frames, it wouldn't fall apart easy. But this is a a significant plant, hyssop is. We'll see it again here in just a little bit. And and as I was studying what what hyssop was, the website got questions. I very highly recommend them if you've never been there. Great resource. They're describing what hyssop is, and I like what they say. They say, when the Israelites marked their doorposts with lamb's blood in order for the angel of death to pass over them, God instructed them to use hyssop as a paintbrush. This was probably because it was sturdy and could withstand the brushing, but it also likely signified that God was marking his people as pure. And not targets of the judgment God was about to deal out to the Egyptians, and so this is what hyssop is, and he was to use it, or they were to use this, and they were to mark their door frames and when that time would come when God would come through, the power of God would come through. they were told that they were to stay in their house, and this blood would signify that God was going to pass over if they left, they would be in trouble, but as long as they stayed in their houses they would be okay. But it all revolves around this Passover lamb, the importance of this Passover lamb, this blood would signify, would, would show people that God was going to protect who was in these houses. And so why is this important? Well, flip over to John chapter 19, if you would. John chapter 19 and verse 28. And as you're turning to John 19, verse 28... So this is where we have gotten to. Last week we talked about a God who understands. And the reason that God understands is because at this point in our story, Jesus has gone through these, these court trials that were just ridiculous. He's been betrayed. He's, you know, he, he's been turned over to these courts. They've, they've found him guilty. And they've decided to hang him on the cross and that was after a severe beating that would have killed many other people before they even got to the cross and he's on the cross and he's being mocked and he's being ridiculed and they're saying hey you know he said he was going to you know destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days let's see him do it he's cried out to god let's see god rescue him and yet here he is hanging on the cross and so we pick up in John chapter 19, verse 28, and it says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So we see Jesus is on the cross, and things are, are coming to a head, and it. We see that he's thirsty. Understandably, we talked about it last week. He's on the cross. He's he's went through all of this stuff. He's dehydrated. Of course you would thirst if you've lost so much blood. But you see, this fulfills prophecy. Not only did we see it in Psalm 22, he's parched, his mouth is dry. But in Psalm 69, 3, he says, I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking... For my God. Even the vinegar that we see here, a jar of wine vinegar was there, and they they soak it and they give it to him, and and even this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 69, 21. They put gall or gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And yet, here we go back again to this hyssop plant. They dip this hyssop plant in this vinegar and they, they put it up to his lips. And again, I return to God questions because they continue to summarize so well, and it says, they say this, while the hyssop stalk may have been used for purely practical purposes, it was long enough to reach Jesus' mouth as he hung on the cross, it is interesting that this particular plant was chosen. It is possible that God meant this as a picture of purification as Jesus bought our forgiveness with a sacrifice. Just as in the Old Testament, blood and hyssop purified a defiled person, so Jesus' shed blood purifies us from the defilement of our sin. This hyssop plant is an important marker while Jesus is on the cross, and He uses this to drink. He's thirsty. He's parched after everything He's gone through. And then in verse 30, it tells us this. When He had received the drink, Jesus said, "...it is finished." With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. You know, it's interesting here. The Greek word for it is finished, it's translated as tetelestai. And tetelestai would mean that the task has been completed. A servant would use this word. He would go to his master and say, Master, tetelestai, the work is completed. The work has been finished. Jesus uses this word, in, in John 17:4, "I have brought you glory on Earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, to tell die It is finished. The work is finished. The work has been completed." But as I was looking at this word and, and studying this word and, and researching this word, something cool popped up that I thought was really neat. One of the coolest ways that this words, or that this word was used was by the merchants. Merchants, the the people who would uh, own businesses, sell goods, services, that kind of stuff. Well, archaeologists have found these papyri, like a scroll type paper. They've been used, or they find these receipts. They've been used to make receipts. And this word "tetelestai" is written all over this papyri. And how this word "tetelestai." Is translated in or on these scrolls or or on this papyri is really neat because they've been able to translate it, and what it comes out to is this paid in full. Paid in full. Your bill, your debt, the thing that you owe, the money that you have owed, that's all paid in full. That debt has been paid. You don't owe anything anymore. You don't owe that debt. You don't owe that bill. It has been paid so as jesus is finishing up his work on the cross and he's completed his task not only does that word mean that or that phrase it is finished not only does it mean that he has completed his work but it also means that on that cross our debts have been paid in full then he continues in verse 31 turn the page make sure i wait a second before i start reading In verse 31, it says, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. And so for the Jews they wanted Jesus on that cross they wanted these bodies on the cross and yet they did not want these bodies to stay on the cross because you know the next day is the beginning of sabbath and they didn't want uh, these bodies up here for people to see this was actually jewish law you see in the old testament when a person would die they would take they would stone somebody when a person was executed they would stone somebody and they would take the body and they would hang it from this pole and this pole would be a reminder if you mess with us if you do anything that is against the law you will be punished for it you will pay for it the same way they paid for it and this body is an, 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 it's an example but see here's the deal the body couldn't stay on the cro- or on the beam not the cross the beam all night and here's the reason why in Deuteronomy 21 Twenty two through twenty three. It says, If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God has given you. As an inheritance, you see, they saw anybody who was hanging from this beam as cursed. And if that body is hanging up, then it would curse the land. And they didn't want these bodies cursing the land right before the Sabbath. And so they go to Pilate and they ask Pilate, Hey, is there any way that you can speed things up? That we can speed up the process of making sure they're dead and we can get these bodies down from the cross. And so they go out there, they send the soldiers out there, and they do what is known in Latin as uh crufragrium. And this is a Latin word, and it would mean to break the knees of the people who were hanging on the cross. And what they would do is they would take an iron mallet and they would smash the knees of the people hanging on the cross. And the reason for this is it would speed things up because it would cause shock it would cause loss of blood and it would cause an inability to breathe because think about it you're on the cross your knees have now been broken it puts a lot of pressure on your chest cavity to continue to breathe and to hold that weight of your body while you're hanging on this cross and so this would speed things up. As a matter of fact, if they didn't do this, if they wouldn't have broken the knees, it said that people could live for hours or even days while on the cross. And so they needed to speed things up. And so they go out there and they break the knees of the people. But then in verse 33, it says, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So they get to Jesus and they find that Jesus is already dead by the time they go to break his knees. And so they want to make sure that he's actually dead. And so what do they do? They grab a spear and they stab into his side. And it's really important that we see this because there are people today who try and try and try to come up with ways to prove that Jesus did not actually die on the cross. There's several theories You know, there's the swoon theory that believes Jesus just passed out from the pain and they took him down off the cross and he healed up while he was in the tomb and that's how he was able to get out because he just needed rest from all of his injuries. Well, he was beaten severely and most people, like I said earlier, wouldn't even get to the cross in that condition. So the swoon theory just doesn't work. Some people believe that everybody around Jesus was just really stupid and that they all went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb and when they saw an empty tomb, they thought he resurrected. But in fact, they all went to the wrong tomb. Says a lot about the people who Jesus, you know, called friends and family, right? Like his own mom wouldn't recognize where he was buried. No, they're all just dumb. They all just went to the wrong tomb. No, this tells us here, this makes it clear to us that he's already dead, and so they stab his side to make sure, and from his side we see a flow of blood and water. You see, the, the likely reasoning for this is a coronary rupture. The blood either came from the heart itself when it was pierced, or the lungs, which could have been filled with blood. The water most likely came from the pericardium. It's most likely a coronary rupture that causes this. Some people debate that, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what causes it. What matters is that this has happened and that this shows that Jesus has already died. You see, John doesn't really go into detail why this is. John doesn't go into detail of what causes this. John doesn't go into detail of of what the reasoning for the blood and water is. No, because that wasn't what was important to John former professor of mine, Mark Moore, he, he sums it up really well. He says, for John, however, the real issue is not medical, the theological. In John's writing, blood and water are thick with significance. Both are sacramental symbols of the source of life. Hence, from Jesus' body flows the liquid of life. It's true. Your body has blood and you need water, right? Those are the two. You don't have any blood, you don't have any water in you. Your body will shut down. And yet, in Jesus, we see how important blood and water is. This blood and water that comes from Jesus is the liquid of life. And then, it's important to note here, too, that his legs didn't need to be broke. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, It must be eaten inside the house, Take none of the meat outside of the house. Do not break any of the bones. This lamb's bones were not to be broken. And on the cross, the Passover lamb, his legs are not broken. And we see another prophecy fulfilled in Zechariah 12.10 as people look at what has taken place as they look at this body that has been pierced. Zechariah 12.10 tells us, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves a firstborn son. And so here it is. It's been building and building and building and leading to this. All of the prophecies have been leading to this moment. Everything has been building and building until we are finally here god had a plan all the way in genesis 3 and it's been going through scripture and it is here the fulfillment of this prophecy this major prophecy: jesus would come he would suffer he would die and you see here's the thing about this cross here's the thing about this death you see jesus death saves us from the death we deserved Jesus' death saves us from the hell that we deserve. Jesus' death gives us right standing with God. And it is all because of the blood of the Passover lamb. And that is what we need to remember this morning. Jesus is our Passover lamb. That blood on that wooden frame signifies God passing over our sins and giving us life. Jesus was the Passover lamb for us. This blood shed on the cross means that we are forgiven of our sins. It means that we are to die. Our debt is paid in full. And you see, here's what I want us to remember this morning. Here's what I think is most important. This was God's plan all the way at the beginning in Genesis 3. And it set in motion all the way all the way back in Genesis 3 and all through the Old Testament over and over and over again, it is prophesied that someone would come and he would be our savior. He would save us from our sins. And we see God fulfilling his plan and it is played out on the cross. And here's the truth that it leads us to Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Romans 6:23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God. God loves us so much that He chose us or He chose not to let us perish in the sins that we have committed and get the death that we deserve. No, He loved us so much that He sent His Son for us to be that Passover lamb. And you know there is nothing that we could ever do to repay Him for what He has done for us, and He doesn't ask us to. We don't have to worry about that. It is to tell us die paid in. Fool I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, maybe you are here this morning, and you hear that phrase to tell us that I paid in full, and maybe you are here thinking, "Man, there is no way my debts in this life could be paid in full. You don't know what I've done. you don't know my past, you don't know my background. There's no way possible that what he did could pay my debt in full. But here is the thing that you need to remember this morning. It's already been done. It's already been done. It's already finished. He's already completed the work. He's already completed the task that he had been given. The work has been done. You are already paid in full. All that matters now is are you going to accept it? And are you going to accept him? That debt, that sin you've committed all those things that you try to, to hide, those things that you are ashamed of it's already been paid And so maybe this morning you need to let the receipt go it's been paid and maybe this morning you need to give in and accept it and accept him for what he has done for us like David said this morning during in communion and we ask over God do this, God do this and we get angry, we get upset. God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? He's already done everything we would ever need. He sent a son to die for us to pay our debt in full. He is the Passover lamb. This morning, accept him. Or Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've just gotten off track. Maybe you've gotten a little sideways. You've gotten... Off the road. Maybe you need to just go back to him and spend time praying with him, talking to thank him for what he has done for you. Your debt is paid in full. He is the Passover Lamb. His blood on that cross represents God's love for us. But you see, here's the good news, and here's how I want to finish this morning. This morning we might see him crucified on that cross, giving up his life. He is dead. He's been his pierced side to, to prove that he's dead. But see, guess what? Easter is coming. We don't serve a God who is still in that tomb. We don't serve a God who the cross was the end all be all for him. No, we serve a Christ who is risen. That should make us want to turn to him and accept what he's done for us. And so this morning, if you're here and you have a decision to make, if you need to to pray, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. But if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.